Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Our very own Bill Simmons just released his 500th Bill Simmons podcast episode, featuring Bill Hader talking about HBO's new season of Barry, SNL stories, and favorite movies. And for the very first time, Bill is joined by a long-awaited special guest. He also just recorded a new Rewatchables episode on Fast Five with Shea Serrano. And after you listen to the Rewatchables, head over to the Winging It podcast, where Vince and Kent interview the Fast Five star himself, Ludacris, where they discuss his career, his new music, and Fast Nine. You can find these episodes and much more Ringer content on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check. I'm your host, John Gonzalez, joined as I am every week by my producer, Isaac Lee. We were both watching the tournament this weekend. Yes, yes. Isaac Lee, I sent you a text message. We took a timeout, you and I, from the NBA to watch some of the tournament. Very exciting stuff. Michigan State's going to the Final Four, baby. Are you a Michigan State fan? Did you not know this about me? No, I did not. Wait, did you actually not know this about no, me? No, I real. I'm not doing a bit right now. I, I really. You went to NYU. No, no, no. My dad went to Michigan State I, to get his MBA, so a lot of my childhood was actually spent in East Lansing. Okay. So I am a I'm a diehard Spartan fan. If you didn't know, if any listeners didn't know, I, that is congratulations. We don't often have time or the opportunity to talk about our college allegiances because we're professional basketball podcasts. So this doesn't often come up, but now it's good to know. I'll, I'll keep that in mind for future reference. But when I texted you this weekend, it wasn't about the actual game. I want you, and you have agreed, you have even agreed, I believe, <laughs> to cut your hair like that goofy kid on Purdue Harms, I think is his name. <laughs> Matt Harms, yeah. He has the most aggressive of all the aggressive, uh, you know, like the every dude now that's like a bro or a hipster has the shaved sides and the long hair on top that's like neatly quaffed but his is like the most aggressive version of it yeah. he looks like he should be on an Interpol watch list somewhere <laughs> oh, uh, but you have agreed to cut your hair like this that correct? is that is incorrect that is not the truth I did not agree to cut my hair like Matt Harms I will say though mm-hmm. Matt Harms let's give him a break he's 21 he's a kid I've made many many questionable choices regarding fashion in my youth I'm sure I'm making some right now as we speak and I'm sure you have I'm sure everyone has so let's cut the kid a break at the same time that haircut screams, <laughs> I listen to the chain smokers unironically. And it's so good. It's, it's a, the greatest haircut ever. Yeah. I, I told Isaac, and this is a standing offer, this is a true offer. I will give him money. I will start a GoFundMe for this. And I want you to cut your hair like that. And I want you to do the cutting because you cut Roger Sherman's hair previously. So we're going to have you cut your own hair just like Matt Harms. And for money, I'm going to give you real money for this. American, <laughs> like actual US currency. Yeah. Well, I mean, my haircut isn't super far from that haircut. That's what I'm saying. We wouldn't have to do that much. But I still refuse. I'm not going to do this. Well, we're gonna it would have to be it. a lot of money. If you if you actually do make a GoFundMe, okay. I'll set some kind of threshold where if you do actually accrue a How, lot, a the, lot of what money. What would the threshold be? Because I'll go home and do know. this instead of writing. I'm on, I'm on <laughs> deadline. I will go home and I will, Chris Ryan, if you're wondering where my story is, it's not coming because I have to set up a GoFundMe. What is the number for Isaac to cut his hair like Oof, this? Man. 
Maybe uh, $5,000. I was going to say like a thousand bucks. If no, I get 5, you a thousand, let's, let's see if we can get a thousand. I, I really don't up. want this to happen. So $5,000. <laughs> All right. Well, this is going to have to happen. I've never set up a GoFundMe before, but apparently I have a chore <laughs> for myself later on. What uh, is this doing? In the interim, everyone, I want to thank you for listening to Heat Check. Please rate and review us on all of our fantastic Ringer NBA shows and pods. And don't forget about the ringer.com. It's an excellent website. I highly recommend it. We've got One Shining Podcast with Titus and Tate. You can find that. You've got Sharks on how Duke's greatest recruiting class, oh, spicy, is Coach K's greatest failure. I love when Coach K fails. I love when Duke fails. They went down. Roger's got his winners and losers of the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8 up there. By the way, Roger Sherman got into it with Rich Eisen. Apparently, they're mortal enemies. Rich Eisen was sitting behind Roger Sherman at one of the games and was busting Roger Sherman's balls for having his ass crack out. He did a whole (laughs) thing on his radio show. So I highly recommend you go find Rich Eisen's rant about Roger and read Roger's stuff. And uh, Roger's going to be on the Rich Eisen show. Oh, it's going to happen. It's today, I think. It's going to happen. Make sure you check out those two. That's going to be excellent. We've got Paolo on Trey Young and the Ascendant Atlanta Hawks. Later on in the program, we'll talk to Haley O'Shaughnessy about them. And uh, on a much more serious note, Dan Devine has a piece on TheRinger.com about the sexual assault allegations against Chris Stapps Porzingis. So you want to check that out as well. Uh, Later in the show, Brian Curtis will be here to talk about what it's like to cover certain NBA teams, including the Milwaukee Bucks. They have a very interesting media dynamic. For those of you who are interested in how the sausage gets made, how we do our jobs, how we cover the NBA, Brian Curtis is excellent at that. He's written a bunch of pieces about it. His latest one on the Milwaukee Bucks, we'll talk to him about that. But first, but first, it's been too long. It's been too long, Heat Check listeners. We got to bring in one of our favorites. Let's do it. All right, joining me in the studio, it's been too long, frankly. It's one of my favorites, one of our favorites here at Heat Check, staff writer Haley O'Shaughnessy. Thank you very much. You're here. What a lovely introduction. It's been too long since I've seen you. It's been way too long. You're staff writer extraordinaire. You cover all things basketball. You are also, before you even get into basketball, I don't know how much people know this about you, but... You've got money. You've got action in, in various basketball oh, realms God. that are happening everywhere. I don't know what you're about to reveal. That's fine. Yeah. Talk about all my gambling you, problems. You but. and House are my resident gambling <laughs> aficionados. Uh, I forget what you tweeted recently, but it made me reply on Twitter. I, I've like basically gotten out of about the Twitter gambling? game. Yeah, yeah, because you tweeted something. This is not probably all that interesting for the listeners because I can't remember what it was. <laughs> was it Zion's? Uh, line yesterday? Maybe, but I, I likened you to Minnesota Fats. You're your generation's Minnesota Fats. You're you're an accomplished gambler. Thank you. Well, I mean, I'm down right now, but are you? Thank you. Was the tournament rough? The tournament was great yesterday, but overall, recently, this is why I don't gamble anymore. <laughs> I spent a long time gambling in my youth. I'm well past. I'm post youth now, but in in my youth, I gambled, and I realized, as somebody who covers sports for a living that I don't know anything about sports and I should stop gambling on it. It's, I only do it to stay humble. It's a good way it's to do that. It's the only reason. It's a good way to do that. Uh, you're humble. I'm humble. You know who else has been humbled recently? This is a transition, professional transition. The Oklahoma <laughs> City Thunder. That was masterful. Thank you so much. I do this for a living. I'm a professional. Haley O'Shaughnessy, in a, to bring it full circle to things I don't know about sports, I would say within like the last two months, I had a conversation with my buddy, Paul Flannery, shouts to Flan over at SB Nation, where he and I were both convincing ourselves that the Oklahoma City Thunder could be a problem for other teams in the Western Conference playoffs because their defense had been so good. And then they immediately started sucking. Since the All-Star break, they've lost 14 of their last 21 games. They are 28th 
and offensive efficiency over that period. They have completely cratered, including and up to over the weekend, losing to the Lucas Dallas Mavericks. Haley O'Shaughnessy, the Thunder in free fall. You know, since the All-Star break, the Thunder have the worst point differential. This is NBA. good. This is good stat knowledge. Yeah, and before it, they had posted the eighth best. Mm-hmm. So, so it's worse. Oh, yeah. I would say that that's worse. I'd say <laughs> that worse. worse. Yeah. Here's the thing. Yeah. Exactly what you were talking about before, defense, is also where they've fallen off. And you listed the offensive rating. like, But there's also a matter of intensity on defense that is no longer there. I don't know how much of this has to do with, I mean, conspiracy theory. I'm not convinced Please. that Paul George is right. Yeah, and I think that what makes throws, you think that. Well, because for I know the he's longest had the shoulder, time, the shoulder yeah, yeah, it's lingering shoulder injury. It came out that people were really worried about it beforehand. And the other thing about it is that if he's not performing well, they have Russ, who will always be their go-to scorer. Sure, but he's even not reliable from the perimeter, and he's cranky. Some would say historically not reliable, and they also do not have another go-to guy. Who are you going to go to third, Dennis Schroeder? Yeah, it's weird because there were times this season where I looked at their roster and I thought that they were deeper, that they had a guy like Dennis Schroeder who you'd be like, okay, he could contribute a little bit here. Nerland's had a role. Jeremy Grant has come along. They are sneaky deep. Is this? Did I? Wow. This is wow. is this two in a row? That actually this so is, in defense, <laughs> two shows in a row. In defense of myself here, um, I had my phone turned off this time, Isaac, but it went through my computer. So I forgot to mute my computer. Oh. So I was felled by technology and uh. by uh, the synchronicity my of these FaceTime two things. My FaceTime will pull up on my laptop and I'll like see my reflection. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'll be like writing. <laughs> like three hours into writing. Yeah, I, uh, I have a little piece of tape over my camera because oh, I smart. am paranoid. Because you've seen like two teenage movies where they got hacked. Uh, no, I watched 60 <laughs> Minutes one time. Again, I'm, I'm post-youth. I'm well-washed. So I... <laughs> I get all my news from like newspapers and uh, <laughs> legacy media sources. All right. So uh, we've gone completely off the rails here, but the Oklahoma City Thunder, there were a point in time this season where I thought that they were deeper and that they had guys who knew their roles and it wasn't just, you know, Paul George rescue us. And now I'm back to the beginning where I was at the end of last season thinking, man, this team doesn't have nearly enough. And to your point about who do they go to after the top two guys, I don't know the answer to that question. I think that they do have a deep roster in some aspects. Dennis Schroeder being behind Russell Westbrook is something he hasn't had in a very long time. Yeah. That kind of backup. And it's not to say that he can't go off for a game and give them what they need. But the thing is, is like you can't rely on that every single game. I think the reason why we don't think of them as deep anymore is because they're missing what every NBA team needs in 2019, which is like a flawless shooter. Yeah, they have some holes there for sure. And I think like it's starting to aggravate Russ after the game, after they lost to Dallas, one of the OKC media members asked Russ, hey, is there any lingering concerns about the way that this team has played? And he next questioned him, no commented, tried to get out of it. Like this is not atypical for Russ. He can be a little prickly with the media. My whole thing is, hey guy, like you can stick your head in the sand if you want to, but everybody knows what you're doing. Like we can see you doing it. So you might as well just address this and be professional about it. Like you can next question me all you want, but the next question is going to be about the concerns that you should and, have. And he rarely gets those questions anymore where it's pinpointing what I think he might be growing a little insecure about. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know that Russell Westbrook ever gets insecure about anything, but it's shooting late in late games. And that also affected them yesterday. Yeah, he's had a really bad shooting season. And yet, and yet, 
despite the fact that I would be concerned were I part of the Oklahoma City Thunder or if I rooted for them, right now they'd be matched up with the Warriors. That is obviously no bueno for them. However, they are tied with the San Antonio Spurs for that last spot. At present, the Spurs would be in the seventh seed. But if they could somehow finagle their way into that seventh seed, they'd get a matchup with the Denver Nuggets, who, as listeners to the Heat Check program know, I like, but am still concerned about in basically any 2-7 matchup with the Spurs, Clippers, Thunder, Jazz, if somehow the Jazz fell off. like That, to me, feels like a toss-up, especially because you look at what just happened with the Nuggets, the Nuggets lost at home to the friggin' Wizards. It boils down to the fact that against the Warriors, the Thunder are going out of the first round. Against the Nuggets, we are not so sure. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So uh, if you are the Thunder, this is my expert sports commentary, Haley O'Shaughnessy, is that the Thunder should get out of that eight seed. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, they should move up out of there. They you don't want to play the Warriors. They should probably start scoring more. They should score more than the other team. Uh, and, and probably play allow, defense. I would guess, allow less points yeah. than they put up. I've been thinking yeah. about this a lot, and I think that that's a good strategy. I don't know um, if you have like, inside sources on the team, but you might want to well, that. Well, I'm pretty well sourced up, as people know. To the Russ seems open to suggestions. Yeah, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll go and talk to Why don't you just go to a game this? and just like scream it from the sidelines, just in case you can't get uh, to him otherwise? I can't imagine. I mean, like, less Thunder media tangent here, but I can't imagine having less pressure on you than being in Oklahoma City no disrespect to Oklahoma City, but it's not a massive media market. And we're going to talk to Brian Curtis later on in the program about covering various NBA teams. But if you're Russ and you get your backup about being asked a very simple question, what kind of concerns do you have about your team at a time when they're not playing well? You get your backup about that. My God, man, you couldn't have it any easier than that. What if you were in a like even a medium-sized media market? You'd be fucked. You'd yeah. be screwed. Yeah, it'd be a lot different if he was in L.A. Dealing with all the pressure they had this year. I mean, like, we're, or just any, like, Not that the Thunder don't have pressure. I didn't mean that. But yeah. dealing with the LeBron, you just know, like, added like, pressure. Yeah, the crucible of, of, like, oh, God, I got to, like, go and talk to this massive media contingent in the press scrum again today. And I know they're going to bust my balls because we haven't been any good. You can't just no comment your way out of that. Like, be a little bit more professional. That's He's all I'm saying. He's just here to That's get paid. That's all I'm saying. Let's bring it's a it big back. day talking about the media here at uh, Heat Check. We're going to do more of it later with Brian Curtis. All right, let's go to the Eastern Conference because I wanted to talk to you about the back end. That eighth seed race is still up for grabs. You've got the Pistons, the Nets, the Heat, the Magic. The Hornets are pretty much out of it at this point. What do you make of this whole grouping? Is there anybody here that would scare you where you say the Bucks or the Raptors? No. No, you're not just, scared by no, any of them. just hope that the Nets don't fall. Well, I was going to say the Nets are in that group. The Nets are uh, just a half game ahead of the Heat for that last spot and just one game ahead of the Magic. Of the Nets, Heat, Magic, absolutely Brooklyn. Yeah. The Heat are, are always a tough team. Last season, we saw that mm -hmm. uh, in the first round. They're a little scrappy. Sixers, yeah, they're scrappy. They do have one player with a lot of experience being a former superstar mm -hmm. who's still actively playing through his retirement. Yeah, he's still out there doing stuff. I see yeah, him more he's on commercials. Still doing stuff. The Magic just don't have enough. It's unfortunate because I love Vooch, but I still don't understand. I mean, I, I do understand, but I don't truly understand why the Magic made such a concerted push for the playoffs this season. I know that it made like you talk to people around the league and they're like, the Magic really want to make the playoffs. And it means a lot to them and to their fan base. And I'm like, it does? Why? Why is that? I think it's the same as the Kings, who were better than the Magic this season, but it's like it's been so long. You know, you just, you want to see that you're trending upward. And for the Magic, who did the same type of thing as the Nets, as the Kings, you see them getting all of this positive attention. 
even to some degree, I guess, the Clippers, although they've had much more success in the past couple of years than the Nets and the Kings, you see them getting all this attention and optimism post-rebuild. And the Magic are like, wait, we were on the same trajectory and we're not getting any of that attention. We had our draft pick, you know, and they've had some of the struggles yeah. that the Kings and the Nets have not. And so I think that they're just like, we need to like stay on par with them. Well, if they don't make it now, then they really bone themselves. Yeah, like, it's smarter for them not to make it. Although I will say, like, with the new lottery odds, why not try to go for but it? But that's how I feel about the they're entire so thing. Fun. Like, I feel completely eh about it. I would have, I mean, like, even if they make it in, they're going to be a first round out, most likely, unless, like, some miracle happens. Uh, God, I would please, have rather them, please like— Please don't have the magic in the second round. Right, my I'm God. sorry, Kevin Clark, but Jesus, that'd be so boring. I would rather have them, like, hard right into a concerted, serious tank— than being in this like mediocre middle where like if they get in like huzzah like that's just like a little tap on their head I they know, get a little pat on their head congratulations you made the playoffs really this has been a season where a lot of the teams who have been hardcore tanking are kind of bouncing back mm. we're almost seeing that whereas before the league was extremely separated between teams who are obviously going for it and teams who knew they couldn't so they were tanking some of those most serious tanking teams are starting to come a little bit more to the middle even the hawks who now have the fourth worst record in the East. It's not like they're the worst team in the NBA anymore. You see them on a trajectory now again. Back I've heard this the narrative. Uh, because eventually you have to go back toward the middle. You can't always be the Sixers where it's like, oh, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Like all of a sudden we're propelled back to the playoffs. <laughs> it doesn't true. happen like that for every team. And maybe it will next year with the Hawks if they get Zion. Or with the Knicks, if they can get Kyrie and KD. But there is middle ground for many of these teams. That's how it's going to have to be for the Hawks, for the Bulls, for the Wizards, for the Magic, for the Hornets. If they keep Kemba, if they don't keep Kemba, they're going straight to the bottom. Even for the Wolves, for the Pelicans, for the Grizzlies, like they're going to all have to go halfway. I didn't mean to get into bottom of the Eastern Conference conversation. but Is that you, not your favorite thing to talk it's about? It's not I what I wanted that to discuss. I wanted to talk about the Eastern Conference playoff race. However, you bring up a point, and it's intriguing to me, and it's something that I wanted to ask you about because we have a very weird group of NBA fans here at The Ringer, and there is an inordinate, to my mind, amount of Atlanta Hawks fandom like we have some Hawks stands here. I will say, where today, are you on the Hawks? Because like I, I don't, I don't understand. I, I understand that people look at their group and go, "Oh, they're doing it the right way," and they're coming up and Trey Young and Herder and the whole bit. And I'm it like, it is Man. very, it is very early Warriors esque. They oh, are trying Jesus to, Christ! No, no, Did you just no. Say they Warriors-esque? are. They are trying to build <laughs> the same way the Warriors built this team. It's true. I mean, they've hired they hired people away from the Warriors. They are like trying to build it. Literally from the ground up. This is the hottest take in heat check history. This has been said before. They're they're Warriors East. But no, said by no, who? no, 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 you, no. Uh, you, I did not Trae say Young is is. Steph I did not Curry. say Warriors East. Yeah. I said their I just, start is Warriors. I'm helping you along. S- oh, okay. S- All right. All right. S. So it's a couple of letter Jesus, tweets. Don't otherwise, put that on my back. <laughs> so Haley, as Haley O'Shaughnessy just said on Heat Check. Next year's champion, Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta Hawks. Everybody's very excited about that. Put money on that. All right. So of this group, then, it's just the Nets that you would say you're a little bit fearful of. Before they would we have the on, Raptors right now. Before we move on, I want yeah, to shout out do. Paolo. He wrote a feature on Trey Young, mm-hmm. who has super propelled the Hawks into this, yeah, he's been good. this fun second half of the season. So definitely Are you a believer in him beyond good stats, bad team? Like, are you a true believer in Trey Young? I'm starting to become, yeah. Me Before too. early in the season, like, no, I couldn't shit on him enough. But 
you're wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm wrong all the time, as no, I've told other you. Other than the Nets, no, I don't. I mean, now the Pacers are in the fifth seed, so I don't know if we're counting that as like bottom. I mean, they, the Pacers like, are a team unto themselves because uh, I can never figure them out. I didn't. I thought with Depot they could make some noise. Without Depot, I thought they would fall off completely. They really haven't. They they've only won three of their last ten games, and yet they're they still ha- in they, that four or five mix. I mean, they have the the toughest schedule remaining. Or do they have the toughest? Hold on, I might have to. They've have to they've been that. absolutely crushed the last two years by the schedule makers. Last year they went on a really long road trip at the end of the season. Same thing happened again this season, where the schedule makers did them absolutely no favors. Whatsoever. Whatsoever. So for them to even have this kind of year, I think is to their credit. I mean, to end up in that four or five seed, even if they don't have home court advantage and the, the home court advantage goes to the Celtics, still a win for them without Depot. Okay, no, sorry. The Nets have the toughest remaining schedule. And then where are the Pacers? Um, the Pacers are all the way at 14, but they did earlier. I mean, they've bumped down significantly because of the last couple stretch of games that they've had to play. But right now they're in the fifth. Celtics are in the fourth. Mm-hmm. The Pacers are who the Celtics were last year. If that's a series, I'm totally betting on the Pacers. You've got the Pacers yeah. in the series. I like that. So we'll talk more about, uh, I'll bring you back with House and you guys could tell me what, <laughs> where, where to wager my wife's money. Uh, before we continue, before we <laughs> before you go to write all, all kinds of different, she's got the money. I work at the ringer. Um, we have a series going on that you've been heavily involved with called Podium Guys. And it's basically like, which guys could end up in the playoffs talking to the media on the podium, not like the superstar guys. These are guys who you'd look at and go, oh, they just had a really good game. The guys who get pulled. Get them to the podium. Right. So we've had three so far, and this will be continuing as the playoffs approach. So let's just go through, because this dovetails nicely with the Eastern Conference playoff picture. Uh, One of the ones that we've had, Pascal Siakam. Tell us why he could end up as a podium guy. You know, I pitched him for this series, and I almost was hesitant in doing so because I think by the end of this playoffs, he's going to be a star. He already kind of is. He already like, kind of is. He's had a killer season. I think because it's Toronto and they always are undercovered, even this season, they're just not part of like national, national NBA media. Like the Knicks probably have more coverage than them sometimes and like the Knicks are terrible. So I think that that's one reason, but the playoffs will fix that. And also where he started compared yeah. to where he is now yeah. is so great and vast that like, I mean, he's my most improved player. It's such for a— sure big deal for them like one he's easily the third best player you could maybe even make a case that he's their second best player and that contract I'm not that big he's on Kyle Lowry so I think he is he might be and then uh, that contract that he's on really helps the Raptors big time with, with team building so you're right it is kind of a gray fuzzy area because the idea of podium players is that they're supposed to be like they can be really good, but they probably can't be stars, right? right? Because and if I, they're stars, <laughs> then like they're going to be on the podium anyway. Right. So I thought saw this was my last opportunity to pitch him as this kind of person. But if you're not familiar with him, I think that you will be impressed by his defense, especially in the playoffs, but really impressed by his energy. This is the most fun thing about him. He's such a fun player to watch. He literally never stops moving. Yeah, I think that this is probably the last year where we could even consider him for this because he's he from the beginning of the year till now, he's taken such a massive step forward that we can't after this season probably rightly be surprised by Pascal Siakam. We shouldn't be, no. And I think I'm hoping that's what we see in the playoffs because I'm as always wishing the best for the Raptors, especially since LeBron's not in the East anymore. But this could be it. This could be the year. He he's could be just, on the podium. He's flashy they by nature. His game is flashy. His nickname is Spicy P. I love it. 
I love Spicy he's P. Flashy by nature. I think this playoffs is really going to shine. Flashy by nature sounds like um, a naughty by oh well, naughty by nature is very close. <laughs> uh, all right, another guy. We talked about the sounds Pacers. Like a crime. <laughs> it's a, it's, we talked about the Pacers, and I don't know what to make of them post Depot. And I've we've discussed them on Heat Check previously, where on any given night. You could watch the Pacers and have no idea who their guy is going to be on that night, right? So that makes them perfect for podium players mm -hmm. because they're whole, they have a whole team of potential podium exactly. player candidates. One of whom, I guess, if you were really going to try to pin down like who their best player has been post Oladipo going down, it would probably be Bogdanovich. I think so, maybe more so than Miles Turner because Miles Turner is, was always supposed to be good. Mm -hmm. And he's had a good year that shouldn't go uncredited. But again, with Depot down, he's probably everyone would call them his, their best player, or at least their most identifiable player. He's definitely stepped up as a scorer in Oladipo's absence. And the Pacers don't actually shoot that many threes. So the threes that he shoots are mm. crucial. And they need the offense. They need the offense, and he's been the one to step up. Yeah, he's uh, his stats post Oladipo injury have been really good. I won't run off the stats. Oh, I guess we should clarify. We're not still talking about Miles Turner. No, we're, st we're talking about uh, Bogdanovich. Uh, but... As we said, they really need that offense, and they've been sort of hit or miss since the injury. I mean, yes, they have stayed in that 4-5 mix, but they're 13-17 and 17 since Oladipo went down, which is the same record as our esteemed producer Isaac Lee noted in our show outline, the same record as the Atlanta Hawks, your ascendant, soon-to-be NBA champion, Golden State Warriors East Atlanta Hawks. I was going to be so mad he didn't get to have this take first. That you've he taken the take the from Hawks. him? Yeah. She came in here, pal, because I know you listen to Heat Check. She came in and she's like, <laughs> fuck that dude. I'm taking his take. And she did. She's just fucking throwing bombs. Uh, but I would love to see Bogdanovich on the podium. One, because I always was amused by Ernie Grunfeld trading a first round pick for him and then letting him walk to the Pacers. Shouts to my guy, Ernie, our favorite GM here at Heat Check. But two, unless something really, truly goes awry, they're going to be matched up with the Boston Celtics in the first round. And let's go Pacers. Right. I just think that the Pacers have figured out something. They figured out who to be together as a group in a way that the Celtics have not. And it's that simple for me. I'm here for team unity. All right, last podium player before I let you go. You guys had Eric Bledsoe on this list, which I think is very interesting. I don't want to be here. He didn't want to be here. He was at the hair salon, he said, which, uh, as everybody knows, when you're at the hair salon, you, you got a GTFO. Uh, but he got, he went to. <laughs> so you're not washed. You, I'm, you I'm can super, speak like the kids. I'm super washed. I, I wrote it down. I took a little <laughs> note. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, he's reemerged. I've always liked Eric Bledsoe on paper. You know, like LeBron was always stumping for Eric Bledsoe as like a mini him. I always thought he he could be a pretty good defensive player. He can shoot. He can handle. He's got a good sized body, but he never really put it all together. And even last year when he first landed with the Bucs, kind of disappointing. But under Bud, he's been good. Well, I think that it's reasonable that he was not who he is this year, last year, because of the coaching situation. He was on a new team. This year, it's really highlighted what he can do best. Bud has all but eliminated Bledsoe's mid-range game. He now takes Good. less than one attempt a game. He's stretched out, mm -hmm. but he really averages the same amount of threes he's taken. he was taking before, but he drives so much more frequently, and that's good because the way the Bucks are set up, they're very spread out. I think he's the third best player on that team. Chris Middleton as number two. Now, this is a very divisive topic on the Heat Check program because Isaac Lee, unbeknownst to me, I love Chris Middleton. I think he's hyper underrated. He's got a player option for $13 million on his contract this year, which he's definitely going to opt out of and become an unrestricted free agent. He he's going to get paid because he's really good. 
Isaac Lee, however, does not think he's very good and tweeted this. Chris Middleton is just a homeless man's Kawhi Leonard. I feel like that's insulting. Whose biggest skill is that he plays alongside Giannis and they really put him in the all-star over Tobias Harris and Gallo. Isaac Lee, on the night that you tweeted this, he put 39 on the Clippers. Defend yourself. I mean, those, those are not two separate instances. It was because he was playing so well that I wanted to tweet this out just to like, you know, poke fun. I obviously don't believe in this spice. Uh, Chris Milton's a really good player. I guess like less homeless man's Kawhi Leonard, more like poor man's Kawhi Leonard, right? Like he he does a lot of the things that Kawhi does. He can drive, he can shoot. He plays really, really solid defense. He has those long arms. But I will say playing next to Giannis, it really helps your game. It does. As it turns out, it does. When, you have, when you have Giannis just like sucking the gravity of the court, into I gotta his say, presence. I don't think that's a knock on Chris, though. No, I just no, no, think no. It's that's not a knock. I'm just saying. For Giannis. I'm just saying, if there was any truth to this spice, it's that he does play next to Giannis and that does help him. Chris Middleton is a very good player at both ends of the floor. Uh, I don't think he gets nearly enough credit. Certainly, he's been disparaged by many people, not just Isaac Lee. But where are you on the Chris or Eric, who's the second best player? It's Chris. Um, there you go. That's the because right take. he's he's too good to be a podium guy. I think he's expected to be up there a lot with Giannis. With Bledsoe, though, I think he has potential to be pulled a lot post-game because another instance where he's going to be useful in the playoffs is when they need him in clutch moments. The thing about playing next to Giannis, although it makes you much better, like Isaac Lee said, Mm -hmm. is that Giannis does not have the skill set to finish a game in every situation. He's not going to be the one that you inbound after a timeout. He takes a three. Whereas Eric Bledsoe, they have used before in these types of situations, and he's hit these shots. I'm excited for playoff Giannis. I'm excited for playoff Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe uh, potentially being a podium player. Make sure to check out the podium player series. Haley will be writing a bunch of those. I learned a long time ago. Never ask Haley O'Shaughnessy to see what she's working on. She's working on too many things. Next All question. top secret. It's all going to be on the ringer.com. Make sure to check her out on that and check her out as one third. She's one third of the chatters on uh, group chat on Thursdays with Justin Verrier and Paolo Ugetti. Haley, thank you. Thank you. All right, thanks to Haley O'Shaughnessy. She is always excellent. Make sure to read all of her stuff before we go on to Brian Curtis. Let me tell you about the NBA Watch of the Night, people. We've got the Heat at the Celtics on NBA TV. Playoff seating implications. Heat trying to get into the playoffs. Boston is trying to hold on to some home court advantage and keep that four seed over the Pacers. Miami, they've been kind of scuffling. You know, like they're always at this time of year, like a little bit of a problem. And if they get into the playoffs, who knows what would happen. But they've been without Josh Richardson for a little bit, so that's been kind of problematic. Kyrie was resting and then not resting. I just want to say this, Isaac. I I don't want to go Mm -hmm. too far out on a limb here, but go Heat. I actually will have to contradict you on that. Uh, Go Celtics because we discussed a little gambling with Haley. Mm -hmm. I have (laughs) quite a few units allocated to the Orlando Magic winning uh, the division. In order for that to happen, the Heat must lose over the I course of the next... I have several questions about this. <laughs> okay. Uh, are you often a unit wager? Uh, you know... I'm learning at, all at kinds the, of things about At the beginning of today. the season, I pulled together some money from my savings and uh, allocated it to certain wagers. Uh, so you bet money. <laughs> you, you, like at the beginning of the season, you took money out of your savings. Yeah. And you decided the best way to allocate those funds was on the Orlando Magic? Well, I thought they'd be really, really good. And listen, <laughs> I'm kind of proven right. They're fighting for the eight seed. Um, I just didn't uh, see Miami being good. I didn't language. see the Wizards being good. I 
has ever said the sentence, I thought they'd be really good. Even Kevin Clark would think that that's <laughs> inadvisable for you to bet money on the Orlando Magic being, quote, really, really good. Well, no, no, no. Let me amend that statement. It's not that I thought the Orlando <laughs> Magic would be really good. I thought that the Heat and the Wizards and, and the rest of the division would be bad. Okay. Which turned out to be true. This is incredible. I've learned so many things about you today. You're a degenerate gambler. You're bad at it. Uh, you're a Michigan State fan, and you're going to cut your hair like Matt Harms. It's oh, wonderful. Oh, God, no, uh, please. Don't forget, Heat at Celtics on NBA TV, followed by just a barn burner. You're going to want to stick around for the doubleheader. Mm. It's Cavs at Suns. Woo! That's going to be a good wow. one on NBA TV. Remember, gang, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com or from your preferred video provider. And uh, before we go to Brian Curtis, a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of Heat Check is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard. It's not anymore. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process out the window. Because today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply for your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. Today's Heat Check is also brought to you by Hulu. Hulu's paying some of the league's best players a lot of money to do some pretty crazy stuff. Joel changed his nickname from The Process to Joel. Hulu has live sports and bead. Damian Lillard got a tattoo that says Hulu has live sports. Clearly, they want you to know that Hulu has live sports. Get over 60 live and on-demand channels, tons of shows and movies, and exclusive originals with Hulu. Get rid of your cable and make the switch for only $45 a month. Watch your favorite teams in the biggest games all season with no cable required. Watch on the go and on all of your favorite devices. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Learn more at Hulu.com. Today's Heat Check is also brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of the Ringer NBA show a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. And all you have to do is sign up at ringernba.robinhood.com. And now, back to Heat Check. All right, joining me on the other line, he's a repeat offender. He's one of our favorites from the press box. Uh, he's a media writer extraordinaire. He's my favorite, Brian with a Y, just barely ahead of Brian Colangelo. It's Brian Curtis. 
Proud to be a repeat offender, God. How you doing? Excellent, my friend. You, I love every time you write. I'm always excited when you write. But you recently have written about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, which is the semi-meta topic of covering the NBA. And mm-hmm. you wrote about it in the context of the Milwaukee Bucks, who whenever I'm like around a small market team, like it always fascinates me how that team is covered by some of these guys. And the Bucks might have one of the most interesting situations in the NBA. Yeah, they really do. Um, as an NBA reporter extraordinaire, you know that the one-on-one with the NBA superstar is like the most precious commodity you could have right. and often heavily, heavily negotiated, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Absolutely. You go to Milwaukee and those reporters up there often find themselves having one-on-ones with Giannis, but it's a one-on-one by default because there aren't any other reporters standing there. It's just them. And one of them, Matt Velasquez, who writes for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, told me for this piece that, you know, a lot of the times he just doesn't even bother Giannis. He's like, you know what? He's sitting there. Uh, it's just the two of us. But, you know, just give him a day off and I'll go talk to somebody else. It's incredible. That's the kind of access they get. That's incredible. I mean, like, I, so to pull back the curtain a little bit for people who don't cover the NBA and just like listening to people talk about it or watching it, I can't stress heavily enough what Brian just said about how how much you have to negotiate a one-on-one with somebody of Giannis's caliber, like at that level, it's not generally like you're just going to go and grab him at practice because if you do, there'll be 47 other maniacs who want to jump in on your interview with him and talk to him too. So to get a one-on-one with somebody of a all-star level or better, it takes forever. So these guys to just have three guys on the beat and to be able to grab them at will is a luxury. But one of the guys on the beat is really incredible. This is my favorite part of the story. A guy named Kane Pittman is one of the three people on the Bucks beat, and he's Australian, and he quit his job and moved to America to try to become a sports writer, which I'm I'm blown away by this. Like, what a incredibly, I don't know if it's ballsy or bad in terms of, like, ideas go, but it's really amazing. Yeah, he lives in, he lived in Geelong, which is outside Melbourne, and he just moved to Milwaukee. So, first of all, let's just marvel at that, you know, kind of <laughs> trans continental move. Yes. But the second thing is, is nobody is paying Kane to be a Bucks beat writer. It's not like some website or newspaper in Australia said, yeah, let's go cover this and we'll, we'll send you a weekly check. He's not getting paid for this. So he took his savings that he'd accumulated over a couple of years working in a gas refinery in <laughs> outside of Melbourne. And he moved to Milwaukee. He got an apartment. He has full media credentials. He goes every day he goes, he's in the scrums, he's asking questions, he's going to all the games, he is funding his own travel to road games, as many as he can afford. Amazing. And he's doing this on his own dime. And it's sort of an audition, so hopefully someone in the media will hire him to cover the Bucks or some other team next year. I'm rooting for him. I know that he's getting some work from ESPN Australia and uh, Melbourne Herald Sun that you said, but like obviously that's not going to cover... It's expensive to cover the NBA. It's very expensive to go on the road and cover the NBA. And that he's doing this as an attempt to like make his dream a reality. I'm rooting for him. But I wonder, like, what would you have advised him? Because I'm sure that you get this too, but frequently I'll have people reach out and say, hey, how do I do what you do? And I'm like, ah, I don't know if you want to either. Like the media business is kind of fickle. And like we have a job today, but who knows about tomorrow? Like, what would you have advised him if he said to you before he did this, Brian, here's my plan. That's a great question. I mean, I think it's a little different because 
there's this whole, I spent some time, bunch of time in Australia last year, and there's this whole dynamic there where the NBA is growing incredibly in popularity, especially with young people in Australia. So they want to cover the NBA, but you can't really do that from over there unless you're just sort of blogging and, and having fun. So it's sort of like you and I really wanting to cover Aussie rules football. And we look Did around I? and say, well, the ringer, the, yeah, the ringer is not going to pay us to do that. So mm-hmm. I guess I got to go to Australia and figure it out and hope that I can convince people, even though I'm the ultimate fish out of water, that, that they should hire me. I mean, I, I just, to me, it's like one of those things, though, if he didn't do it, I'm guessing that guy would have wished that, yeah. you know, spent years and years, maybe his whole life saying, man, I should have just given that a shot. You said in your piece that he, he like just picked up and moved here and decided to do this and left his family behind. When you said family, does he have like a wife or a girlfriend back there? Or you just mean his like extended family? <laughs> yeah, somebody on Twitter asked me that. He does not, he is not married, no kids. It's just his supportive family, had, uh, people he knows. <laughs> I had this idea of him like <laughs> telling his wife and kids, I'm going out for a pack of smokes. And then, like, and then now he's like in the, uh, covering the NBA, but uh, it's still a good story. I'm rooting for Kane. But the idea about like how they interact with superstars because there's so few of them and because they have such incredible access is really interesting to me. There was a point in the story where you said, in addition to like kind of leaving Giannis alone at times, they also are careful, I guess, in how they couch certain questions. There was a a moment during the season where Giannis and Ben Simmons, speaking of our Australian buddies, got into it and Giannis appeared to have said that Ben Simmons was a fucking baby, which immediately, mm-hmm. if I'm at that game, that's the number one thing I'm asking uh, Giannis about. Like, first question. They didn't ask him about it. They didn't ask him about it straight away anyway. And afterwards, Giannis said to one of them, it might have been Kane, I forget. He was like, yeah, I like the way that you asked it. Basically <laughs> saying, like, way to not ask it, which I thought was kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think, you know, Giannis talks all the time about, how the best thing to happen to him coming from the Greek sea league is to have been in Milwaukee where there's not a lot of pressure. You don't have crazy Laker fans or Knicks fans or anything like that. And I think the media part of that is the second part of the question. And it's not to dog those guys at all, but it's just to say it's a totally different environment than if he were somewhere else, you know, that would have been the back page of the New York post 1000% no, if you no doubt. the next day in Milwaukee, it's, a note, it's a paragraph, it's somewhere in somebody's story the next day, but it's not this crazy tabloid obsession. And I think Giannis has probably benefited from that more than anybody. Yeah. And I want to, I want to make clear here that I'm not knocking those guys. It's, I just find it interesting because I grew up in a decidedly different media environment in Philadelphia (laughs) where exactly what you said, not only would that have been my number one question, that would have been my column. That would have been the thing that I asked other players about. I would have gone immediately to Ben Simmons and asked Ben Simmons about it just because like, that's the way that I'm wired and I couldn't imagine not doing it. And I think that there's like this in outposts like Milwaukee and and Oklahoma city, which I want to get to in a second, because you've also written about covering that team. There are smaller markets, media markets, Memphis as well, where when you go, it's got a sort of throwback, old timey, like feeling to it where like, I never experienced this, but I've talked to other writers who have where it was like, oh yeah, you could go grab a beer with a player afterwards. And like you had a more intimate relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Whenever I've done these pieces, and I've done a bunch of NBA ones now, it is a reminder, even as we sit at the epicenter of NBA excitement at the ringer, that the NBA in a lot of markets is just not that big. 
in Milwaukee, it is way behind the Packers. The idea that there'd be one reporter at any Packers game or even any Packers practice mm-hmm. is ridiculous. They would just, they would have a squad, everybody yeah. have a squad there. It just would never happen. And the NBA is growing crazily and growing crazily on the world stage. But it's just, again, I, I'm reminded of this every time I go back to Dallas, a place where you spend a lot of time too, is that it's just not, it is not that way everywhere. And it's possible to just have a very small little media contingent and that's it. I think it's fascinating and it, and it, it hits me all the time and I don't know why I'm not used to it by now, but whenever I'm in a small market or small market team comes to LA or Philly or some other city that I'm in and I see the group that's with them, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. There's not, you know, 20 maniacs screaming at LeBron today because <laughs> it's a smaller group. Uh, we mentioned OKC, you've done a piece on them. You did... I would argue the definitive piece about covering that team. And it's interesting to me because there are some parallels with the Milwaukee Bucks and how they're covered as well. But the Oklahoma City Thunder have not played well post-All-Star break. They've lost 14 of their last 21 games. Russell Westbrook not excited after they lost to the Dallas Mavericks without Luka Doncic over the weekend. And so they were asked, rightly so, pretty professional and obvious and straightforward question. Hey, Russ, are you concerned at all about the Thunder and how they've played recently. And he next questioned them and like looked to the media, to the PR guy for the Thunder to kind of like shut things down. And as somebody who has written about that team and covering that team, I felt like there were some parallels to your piece where it was, oh yeah, they're sort of overprotective of Russ and he gets his backup about these things. Yeah, I think it turns out it turns out to be a combination of two things. One is just what kind of players do you have in the locker room? And Russ is just not a guy who I don't think if you were playing anywhere would be particularly excited about answering questions and would probably have tense moments with the media no matter what, as he does on the court. You know, I mean, that's just Russ. That's him. That's what he does. But the second part of it is an organizational thing. And we hear lots of stuff in the NBA about culture, but I definitely think there's a culture at a lot of these franchises about how they deal with the media. And the culture in Oklahoma City when I was there, and again, it was a couple of years ago, so my anecdotes are all a little dated, from Sam Presti on down was we regard the media with a certain amount of paranoia. You know, we keep them at a distance. We don't invite them in, as opposed to a franchise like Golden State. And so what happens is I find that filters down to the players. I mean, I think one of the biggest examples is KD. When he was in Oklahoma City, there were so many bad moments with the press. Now, he had that one a couple of months ago, but really, he's been a very different guy in Golden State. And I think that's just because that franchise says, hey, come on in here. Talk to our guys. You want to, you know, five, ten minutes with Steph? We can probably make that happen. You want to yeah. walk up to Steph's locker? We can probably make that happen. And it's just a, it's an interesting difference. And semi-meta, a word you used earlier, is very good, I think. There is this kind of semi-meta zone where it's like, the reason players are acting like this and the reason you're reading certain stories about players has to do with the culture of the franchise. I'm I'm fascinated by that dichotomy and that difference, like the juxtaposition of how it's handled in OKC versus how it's handled with the Warriors, because you would think if a team was going to get its back up and try to be protective, they have so many stars that maybe it would be a team like the Warriors. But I also think that there's sort of like an avalanche of media coverage when you get to a when you're a part of a team that's that talented and that good and has so many interesting players that you can't hold it off. So maybe you just go with it to get along. And maybe with OKC, it's, you know, they don't have to deal with the crush of media all the time. So when they do get certain questions, they're not as practiced. It's not as comfortable. They're not as used to it. Maybe part of it is cultural and organizational ethos. And maybe part of it is just like experiential. You don't have that much experience dealing with 
people like me asking questions about why'd you call Ben Simmons a fucking baby? Oh, that's totally right. I mean, you know, one is Barry Trammell down there in uh, Oklahoma, you know, being a guy who just doesn't care is just going to go in and ask questions. <laughs> yeah. He's not worried about it. But also, yeah, and in, I think like in the Warriors example, right, like the Warriors are the classic, what I'm just talking about with the Bucks. here is a team that in the Bay Area was begging people to come cover the team for yeah. years and years and years. Please cover the Warriors because all anybody cares about is the Giants and 49ers. So, you know, they're probably still in some way in that mode, right, even though there's been so much attention and other franchises. And again, it's the only pro game in town in Oklahoma City, so maybe that plays in a different way. Yeah, and then you uh, compare and contrast that to a team like the Lakers, who obviously, because we're in L.A. and because of the Lakers, they're always going to have a pretty big media contingent. But when LeBron came this year, it was decidedly different, not only in terms of the number of people, but in the way that they were covered. Because I found over the last couple of years that the Lakers was kind of a soft beat. There were a number of people who were covering the team, but they were bad and they were young. And like, there's not a lot of time to get your knives out and sharpen them and like get after the team. And now with LeBron on the team, all that changes. Like you see a guy like Dave McMenamin who does a great, great job with ESPN. He leaves Cleveland. He moves to LA to follow LeBron, to cover LeBron. And he just did a long piece about what everything that went wrong with the Lakers. And it was a long list. And it was, I think like in sharp contrast to the way that the team has been covered over the last few seasons. Yeah. I'd, I'd add the one name I put in terms of people who've treated that beat like a place to sharpen your knives with Baxter Holmes when he was actually their beat writer at ESPN. You know, yeah. he, he published in the waning days of Kobe, a bunch of really tough <laughs> to say it in the nice way pieces about the Lakers. But yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, one is that LeBron just brought all this new talent to the beat. There's also this fascinating dynamic with the Lakers because LeBron has really cultivated the three or four beat writers he sees every day. He did that in Cleveland and he did that in LA. And what he did was he was really nice to them. He talked to them off the record a lot. He was a really accessible superstar, even though he never, of course, had the situation that Giannis does with a one player standing around. He really reached out to those guys to make sure they felt like this dude wants to talk to us. Doesn't mean we're going to write something nice about him every day. Doesn't mean we're going to, you know, pull a punch, but he is engaged in with us. But, the other thing that's happened in LA is all of a sudden he has old media, right? Mm -hmm. Bill Plaschke over at the LA times, Bill Plaschke is not a member of NBA Twitter. No. He didn't care. Right? No. And if he, he wrote a really good, I thought a really good column over the weekend where he's just like, this was terrible. This was terrible. And he's kind of been writing that all season. Like, this is awful. This is a joke. You know, I think when, when the whole LeBron media thing started, remember LeBron didn't give a press conference when he signed with the Lakers. Yeah. Instead, they sent Palinka out there to read from a Paulo Coelho novel, which is still one of the most surreal media things I can ever remember in my entire life. He's incredible with the media. He's got these weird folksy stories that he tells and he goes off on tangents. He's amazing. Bible quotes. Yeah. It's like, you know, your English TA from college, you know, that's running a basketball team. But, you know, it's also this thing of just like, this whole LeBron thing where LeBron was at a hundred percent approval rating with the media last summer. I think we can agree, right? Yeah. Dragging that terrible Cleveland team, the finals opening the school in Akron, like everything was going that dude's way. And now <laughs> less than a year later, we're at something way, way, way less than a hundred percent. And I just, I just think the funny thing about the media with him in LA is I've never heard him make the affirmative case of why he wants to be a Laker. 
I don't go in for that, you know, oh, he's distracted by his Hollywood projects. I think he totally has a right to do that. But to me, the only case he's ever made I've heard about why he wants to be in L.A. is the Hollywood stuff. I've never heard him explain why he wants to be a Los Angeles Laker. And I think, again, I think that strikes the local media, the print media, the Bill Plaschke's of the world really in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's right. I mean, he tried at media day to explain, you know, like the history of the Lakers and whatnot. And and I'm with you that I don't believe that he's distracted by the Hollywood stuff, but I very much believe that that was his primary motivation for coming out here. And he's like, ah, screw it. You know, I'll go to the Lakers. Lakers are a historic franchise. I'll put on the the purple and gold and uh, I can do Space Jam 2 and uninterrupted stuff and the shop and the new one that's on CBS where Tim Tebow is chasing guys for a mile. <laughs> <laughs> so it's incredible. Um, but I, I, I do. Yeah. I'm glad that he did it, though, because one, we're in the content making business here at The Ringer and there's plenty of content yep. with the Lakers now because of LeBron. But also and you wrote about this in your piece when you wrote about the media coverage of the Lakers, the LeBron media industrial complex, like he creates jobs in our industry. McMenamin moved out here. Uh, We know that Windhorst has followed him all over the place. Allie Clifton, who used to be the Cavs sideline reporter, moved to L.A. to take a studio job with Spectrum to cover the Lakers. She was eating cow tongue on the pregame show the other day. Shouts to Allie. Like, there's all these people. The Athletic hired a bunch of new people. By virtue of LeBron, jobs in this industry are created. We should tell Kay and Pittman. He should cover the Lakers. Yeah, that's a good idea. And and remember, this is all in... uh you know, facing off with the fact that Jeannie Buss has denounced the fake news, quote unquote, around the Lakers. That's great. So LeBron brings all this media coverage to this team that has just been awful over the last couple of years, is way less interesting in LA than the Dodgers. And then she is complaining that the coverage is too tough. And I and I just, again, of all the shots LeBron has taken in the last couple of weeks, I wouldn't call the Lakers coverage too tough this year at all. No. And that was a very, very weird moment in terms of media coverage too. Again, and my worldview is admittedly warped by my upbringing and like coming up through the Philly media where there's never a time where you have to take your knives out because they're just always out. They're omnipresent. But so, so like when I see things like that, I would think about that too when I was in Dallas when Cuban would complain about the coverage. And I'm like, there's like three dudes here right now and I'm one of them. And if you were in New York or Boston or Philly or anywhere on the East Coast, you'd have 20 dudes and they'd all be angry. So, like, I think you've got, mm-hmm. it, you've got it a lot easier than maybe you realize, and I think the Lakers definitely do. But that brings me to the last team I wanted to talk about. The Knicks are sort of notorious for how they handle the media, and obviously there's a lot of things going on right now with what happened with Chris Steps Porzingis, and we encourage you to read Dan Devine's piece on TheRinger.com. But just from a very, like, pulled-back, 3,000-feet view of the Knicks, I think it's interesting that they could be in New York and, and have a guy like James Dolan as their owner and be so thin-skinned about the media when you're in New York. Yeah, really makes the Yankees look like the model of equanimity, even in the Steinbrenner years. Yeah. Because it's more Trumpian at the risk of using that word than anything. And I think, um, you know, to me, KD is going to be the ultimate experiment, right? We've seen KD in Oklahoma City and what that turned out. We've seen KD in the Bay Area. And now we're going to see KD with two back pages that would like nothing more than to get a great headline out of him screwing up. And, you know, somebody the other day I saw arguing, well, I don't think the New York media is going to be that much tougher or worse for him than the Bay Area. This is a guy who got mad at a headline at the Oklahoman. (laughs) Now, there will be one of those, two of those headlines every day, every day in New York. And I just, I just think like, 
I mean, to me, that's going to be the ultimate. Also, just think how he's going to change. I mean, that, that, as you know much better than I do, that shop has never been friendly to reporters. They've had incidents this year with the Daily News. Yeah. Uh, with Stephen Bonney, if, if my memory is it was. Uh, it was serving me. Yeah. And I just like, you're right. It just feels like if you're in New York, you should have the thickest hide of everybody. There's going to be, there'd be access issues because you just have so many people wanting to get in. And again, there's a franchise that just hasn't been good in forever. Yeah. So, Imagine being that bad and still that bad with the media. That's incredible to me. So for people who missed it, Stephen Bondi's uh, the Knicks beat writer for the New York Daily News. And there have been multiple times this year where he's had problems with the Knicks, like just not telling him about team-related things. Like where all the other beat writers from the other media outlets were clued into it by the Knicks, but they just purposefully left him off because they don't like him and they don't like how critical he's been, which is so Bush League. It's so small time and petty. And when you're any NBA franchise, there's only 30 of them, you're going to get a fair amount of coverage. But when you're the Knicks, you're going to get a ton. And for you to be so small-minded about that, and it rubs me the wrong way. It would make me absolutely fucking insane. But I'm with you. I want KD to go to the Knicks for this express purpose. I want to see how they handle it. I want Kyrie and his flat-earth truther stuff to go to the Knicks for this express purpose. Shy of that, I have been, a, like, my conspiracy theory is that they'll strike out on those two and end up with, like, a, a consolation prize like Jimmy Butler. That would also be excellent. Oh, I want any of those guys to go there. Yeah. Jimmy Butler in New York. That's a different kind of experiment. That's just, I mean, that's, that's a different kind of horror show media experiment. But That, uh, that would be excellent. Yeah, I'd love to see that too. I anticipate that you will, this has to happen though, right? Like this will be your next NBA media coverage piece. If KD and or Kyrie go there, we have to, you just have to move to New York, right? So you're thinking, yeah, you're thinking I should do that over the magic beat or the Hornets beat at this point. That'd yeah, be the- it's close. It's close. <laughs> they both sound really interesting, but maybe just think about the next one. Uh, Brian Curtis, you're excellent. I love listening to you on the press box. Is there anything you want to plug my friend? No, just uh, press box every Tuesday morning and uh, you know, more uh, semi meta. What did you call it? Quasi meta media pieces coming down the line. I love it. I love when you do that. Read Brian Curtis all the time. He is excellent. Shouts to you and shoemaker on the press box. Listen to them as well. Thanks for doing this, my friend. Thanks God. Take care, man. All right, I want to thank Haley O'Shaughnessy. I want to thank Brian Curtis. They were both excellent. I want to thank Isaac Lee, who is mere moments away from saying goodbye to most of his hair. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, because we're going to get you that money, Isaac Please, Lee. Please, no. I'm going to make this my... We're going to start Please. at 1,000. Oh, no. The Heat Check listeners are, are hardworking class human beings, oh, and we're going to do this grassroots style, small donations to the pending GoFundMe that I will tweet <laughs> out when I, when I create Please, that Please, everyone, on. do not donate to this. Uh, Isaac, your hair is handsome. It'll be less handsome when we're done with you. I want to thank you for producing the podcast per usual. I want to thank all of you for listening. Please rate and review us on iTunes if you would be so inclined. It helps people find us, moves us up the rankings. We would like that. And we also want to encourage you to read all of our content at theringer.com. The site has been killing it lately. We've got a ton of stuff up there, so check that out. And don't forget, The Mismatch on Tuesdays, Group Chat on Thursdays, Corner 3 on Fridays. Isaac and I will be back on Monday with Heat Check. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.